hey, uh, good to see all of you. Uh, glad to see some of your faces I haven't seen in a while. So uh, grateful that you're all here. And those of you who are online, we're glad that you're here with us too. Uh, if this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. We're thrilled that you are choosing to spend your Sunday with us. Um, I wanna start with kind of a question, a reflective question a little bit. Do you have one of those people in your life um, that you can spend some time away from them and yet when you see them, you pick up right where you left off? Do you have somebody like that? There's not, there's not a whole lot of those, but every now and then we, we end up with a friendship of someone that, you know, it, it might be months or years between the time that you talk to them, but as soon as you do, it's like, it's like you've never missed a beat. Has that happened to you? Have you if, if you have a person like that, you know what I'm talking about. You just kind of know them. You kind of know their heart. And even though there's, there's time and distance between you, you, you just, you, you just kind of you, you hit on all cylinders every time that you're together. It's a special kind of relationship, and I don't think we find it with too many people. I think there's the, a few special people that are like that. And I want to talk about a relationship a unique type of friendship today. We're going to be talking about the one that existed between Jonathan and David. Remember, we're in this series after God's heart. We're talking about King David and uh, trying to learn some lessons from, from his life story. Uh, but there's this relationship that he develops with, of all people, Saul's son. Now, now think about this for a moment because this kind of struck me today as I was thinking about it. So King, King Saul has been anointed by God and yet... Uh, God has withdrawn his favor over Saul and has anointed David. So Saul misses out on a legacy, misses out on a dynasty, and who would that fall to? Jonathan. And yet here we have the son of a more or less deposed king, or soon to be deposed king, um, making friends with the, you know, what amounts to the usurper. Does this make sense? I mean, this is an odd story all the way around. And um, I'm going to invite you uh, to turn with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18. That's the uh, passage that we're going to be in today. I want to read a few verses from, from this, make some comments, and I'm going to address something that's controversial. So parents, just FYI, this is PG-13-ish uh, today, maybe pg uh, I'll, try to, I'll try to keep it PG, and I'll let you know when it's coming up. So I'm going to read um, part of the text first, and then we're going we're gonna to deal with, with some of the issues. So 1 Samuel chapter 18, PG-13, there we go. Didn't pay attention to my cues and my notes and when I'm supposed to hit my slides. All right, here we go. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, this is uh, um, David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day uh, and would not let him return to his father's house. It means he took him into his service. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Verse 5, and David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent, uh, set him over the men of war, and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. 
This is the word of the Lord and we believe it. And there's a lot of stuff that's in here. But what, what's very apparent, this is a straightforward bromance, okay? That's what's going on here. You've got two guys and they, they kind of hit it off and they made this kind of, of connection that they have and they become fast friends. But what gets really interesting here is this notion of a knit soul, okay? So, Remember, this passage is written in ancient Hebrew, and there are certain words that don't have direct translation, and so consequently, if you are an interpreter or a translator of the Bible, you've got to make some choices, okay? So we've got this word, and this is where it becomes interesting, where their souls are knit together. Now, here's what I mean by interesting. There is a group of scholars, this is the PG-13 part, okay? There's a group of, uh, a small group of scholars who interpret this passage as evidence um, of a homosexual relationship between Jonathan and David based on the word that's used, okay? Now, I've seen this, this argument come up from time to time uh, over the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years or so. And I think we, we probably ought to address this because I don't want you to be ignorant about these things in the text. It's important. So based on that. Now, at the outset, this is a relatively um, small theory, small number of people advancing this theory. Okay? We're not talking about, you know, this is not widely uh, circulated among, among scholars, but there's a small group, um, and, and it, it's, it's a theory. Okay, and to me, this is just personally, um, as I read through this, it is an, an enormous interpretive stretch made based on an isolated reading of this passage. Okay, and, and here's why. Because I don't, I don't want to just make a statement, I want to try to back it up with why I believe that. The first and foremost is that it seems to me that it ignores certain historical, cultural, and literary um, context. Context is everything when we're reading, reading the scripture. Context is everything when we're looking at data. Context is everything when we're reading news stories. Context is really important. And so, um, for me personally, whenever I'm looking at a passage, there are those three minimum contexts that I want to consider. The Bible was not written in a vacuum. There are historical events that influence it. It was also not um, written without a culture. So you've got a, an entire Jewish culture that influences what gets written down and what gets edited over time. That culture is evident within the text. And furthermore, there's a literary context. The the uh, the passage that we read here is very historical. You don't read that the same way that you would read, say, poetry. Does this make sense? So you've got to include some of these pieces of the puzzle and not just base it on one sole thing. There's lots of context that go into the interpretation of this. And so secondly, as I look at this, especially from a literary standpoint, is that this passage sits within a military narrative arc. There's a lot of war and warfare going on here. And I think that that has some influence in what's going on in this passage. Now, first of all, Jonathan himself is an experienced guerrilla warrior. Now, we know this because uh, a few chapters ago, Jonathan and his armor bearer, the two of them attacked the Philistine camp and threw it into chaos. 
I mean, he is no slouch when it comes to mixing it up with the enemy. Okay? So we know that he's a, a skilled, a skilled uh, warrior. But David, in this particular case, is fresh off of the defeat of Goliath, which was in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Please understand that when somebody sat down to write this thing out, it wasn't just random collections of stories, but rather he's trying to tell us something over a period of time. And so we also know that here in verse 5, we just read it, that David then becomes a very successful military commander. So there's this, there's this arc that's going on in the storytelling. Now, when you tell a story, you're going somewhere. It's a good idea to have a point when you're telling a story. At least have a punchline, okay? And the same thing is true when we read the text, that there is a point to this. And so consequently, within this narrative arc, we know, uh, uh, you know certain things about this. There is a military bend to this passage. And having said that, you can ask any combat veteran that relationships created under the pressure of violence tend to be pretty tight. And if not necessarily in combat, it can also just be in training because of the type of pressure that's put on our military personnel. And those of you who have served in the military, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Those relationships tend to be uh, pretty tight. There's a brotherhood among vets. And we see that, um, uh, you can see it on YouTube for sure, but you can see it just when you, when you see a group of veterans who are, who are, who are talking together. And so, as I'm looking at this passage just from a literary standpoint, it's a mistake to view this relationship between Jonathan um, and David as anything more than that type of relationship. And certainly, <laughs> uh, it's a mistake to view it as a sexual relationship. Because that word that's used doesn't necessarily connote the fact of a sexual relationship. Okay? So keep this in, keep this in mind. But I also think there's something else that's going on here. Um, something else that's, that's important for us to take a look at. There's a problem with this interpretation of this type of sexual relationship between these two individuals. Clearly, David and Jonathan had what we would term as an intimate relationship. You know, one was willing to, to create a covenant with him, to create that type of bond with, with uh, Jonathan, with David. So it's an intimate relationship, but I think we have to understand that intimate is not the same thing as romantic. Those are not the same things, right? Intimate is not the same thing as romantic. Perhaps we've forgotten that, or maybe we've abandoned it. And it's easy to do because, you know, um, there's a certain section of a department store called Intimates that seems to be rather popular around Valentine's Day, Right? So we tend to take those two words and we, we interchange them, but I don't think that they're necessarily interchangeable. And, and intimacy points to a deep knowledge of another person. You can have a deep knowledge without it being sexual, okay? A deep knowledge of that. Because you take the person, the, the great, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of that. In fact, I would argue that most relationships depend on a couple of things. First of all, depth of knowledge and frankly, um, a certain amount of physical distance. Not always, but I think it's helpful to, to understand that in this context. And, and 
some of you have heard me talk about this before, but I think it, it bears worth repeating here uh, as we try to understand this. And so what I would like to do is I want to put together um, something for you to think about a little bit when you think about your own relationships. So I'm going to give you kind of a framework. If you've got a journal, you might want to jot some of these things down because this might be useful for you uh, in the future. And I'm, I'm going to try to use an illustration here that hopefully will, will put this into perspective. And I want you to imagine yourself going to a barbecue. And let's say that it's um, a barbecue with somebody that you know, and yet there's going to be people there that you don't know. Okay, so one of those kind of bar- barbecues, all right? So we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about this. And so as you walk in to it, let's say that you decided that you were going to wear your favorite uh, NFL uh, football team jersey. I don't care what it is. It could be Dallas. It could be Kansas City. It could be whatever it is. You, you decide. So imagine that, and when you walk into a barbecue and you notice Someone across the backyard is wearing a t-shirt that has the same team logo on it. Right? And instantly you're like, oh, another fan. Clearly an intelligent person. Clearly somebody who who has fine culture because they like the same team that I do. And this type of relationship is a public relationship. It's usually the distance is anything over 12 feet and you have very little knowledge except for the fact that they like the team that you like. Does this make sense? So consequently, there is some common ground there that you can see visually. If you have ever been to a uh, football or NBA basketball game and you're with a bunch of fans, it does not matter that you don't know their names or where they work or what their history is when the team scores, you're high-fiving people. You don't even, of course, now with COVID, I don't know if we can do that anymore. But, you know, did you understand? And maybe it's high-five and then hit the sanitizer. But, you know, there's no belly bumping anymore. We don't do that. We can't, we can't do that. So consequently, we've, we've got this notion of a public sort of relationship because that person uh, likes the same thing that I like. There's some common ground there. This is a public type of relationship, Okay. So, now, let's say that in that same barbecue, you decide to go over and comment on their brilliance for wearing the same t-shirt, for liking the same team that you like. Because, again, clearly, they are a cut above everybody else. So you go and you have a bit of a conversation, and you, you talk and you chat with them, and you learn a little bit more about them. This is what we call a social relationship. It's somewhere between 4 and 12 feet typically speaking. And so you learn a little bit more. You learn their name. You learn why they like the team. Maybe they lived in that city for a while, or maybe they grew up liking that team. Whatever it happens to be, you get a little more information about them. You have that social thing going on. And sometimes it might be a little bit more than four feet, but I'll guarantee you, you probably have a cup in your hand, which, by the way, is a social barrier. Because you can, like, you know, you can talk to somebody. You got that cup in your hand. You just got to be careful you don't spill it on their shoes. That's, that's not polite, right? You got to be careful. But we'll create some distance just with that barrier of the cup in the hand. But the point is, this is now a social relationship between 4 and, and 12 feet. Now, let's say that in that conversation at the barbecue, you realize that not only is this an intelligent person who's a cut above the rest, you actually kind of like them. 
at least the things that you've heard and you would like to hear more. So you walk over and you pick up your burger and your dogs and your ribs or whatever it happens to be at your barbecue and you go and you sit down at a table with this other individual. And you begin to have another discussion with them. This is what we call a personal relationship. It is about 18 inches to 4 feet. Anytime you sit down across the table from someone, you are immediately in personal space and you will notice the level of conversation changes. This is perfectly natural for us. This is one of the reasons why um, when we uh, uh, date someone uh, and we go out on that first date, we often want to have dinner with them because the, uh, the distance is such where you can have a little more of a personal conversation rather than just a social or a public one. Get to know them a little bit better. Just by the way, if you're ever on a first date, kids, this is, this is, a, this is free advice. Do not order the spaghetti or barbecued ribs that you have to eat with your fingers. Don't do it. There's a good chance that you're not going to get that next date, right? Okay. Keep that in mind. Yeah, slurp. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So you have this personal type of discussion as soon as you sit down across the table um, with someone. There's another level here that's 0 to 18 inches and that is a detailed understanding of that person. Very few relationships move to this level. And that's, that's by design, because it requires a certain level of vulnerability. Uh, and as human beings, we don't typically like that. But there, is, there, there are those people that you, you can actually get to a much deeper level of conversation with them, and you can be vulnerable. This is when people know your secrets and you trust them. So trust and vulnerability are a big part of this. This is intimate. There are times um, when in an intimate relationship you may have to draw someone else in, but usually that's in crisis and you need a counselor. And you can give that counselor some type of um, more uh, intimate details about the circumstances you're in because of the circumstances because of those circumstances, and you, you might need that outside perspective. But for the vast majority of us, this is a one-on-one -on -one kind of relationship that we have, and it's intimate, and it's very detailed, and it uh, keeps us vulnerable. <clears throat> Something that I, I really think we need to talk about when, when we're talking about intimate is that intimacy is, is a function of commitment over time. Commitment over time when you have an intimate relationship, you feel comfortable being vulnerable because there's a high level of commitment and you have time in order to build trust. And I'll tell you, this is the reason why one-night stands are so dangerous, psychologically, spiritually, because there's no commitment and there's no amount of time that you have with that, that individual and yet you're sharing that most personal part about yourself. It's very destructive. Uh, it can be. I have two intimate relationships in my life. Uh, one of them is with my wife, that is intimate and romantic, and the other was with my best friend, that's intimate and non-romantic, okay? There are things that those two people know about me that no one on the face of the planet will ever know about me. 
Why? Because I have commitment over time. 20, almost 27 years ago, come this next month, um, well, actually longer than that, because I dated Lisa three years before we got married. So 30, I've got 30 years in with that woman. So don't you feel sorry for her. She knew what she was getting into, okay? <laughs> All right? But I stood before, before God and before her parents and my parents and all of our friends and family, and I said, I do, and she said that she did. Preacher said, you are? That's a high level of commitment. And now I've got 30 years on with her. That level of intimacy, I can honestly say, is something I never imagined almost 30 years ago. And some of you who have gone the distance and been married longer than, than 27 years, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can finish each other's sentences and not be wrong. That's a level of intimacy. My best friend and I, um, we've been hanging out together, I don't know, 15, 20 years. I don't, I don't, I don't keep count. High level of commitment. Time in. There are things that he'll know about me and I know about him that we will never share with anybody else. That's intimacy. Non-sexual, but intimate. Does that make sense? So you've got to keep that in mind. Typically speaking, to be healthy for every one intimate relationship you have, you've got to have two personal relationships, about four social relationships, and maybe eight or so um, public relationships. And th- these are the people that you, know, you, you come in contact with. You have people that are varying depths of, of intimacy, of varying depths of knowledge, of vulnerability that you have with them. And, and you, you just need those kinds of relationships to be, to be healthy. Um, I think that's, that's important. And, and I think that as you kind of go through your life, you need to be thinking about who occupies some of those, those spaces. So I want you to think about your relationships. Where do you categorize these people? People that you know, that you regularly hang out with, when you think about them, where on that, I don't want to call it a scale, let's call it a framework. Where in that framework do they actually, they actually sit? Where do they actually rest? And do you have a few in each of those categories to give you some balance? That becomes the other, the other question here. <clears throat> and, and I also recognize that intimacy may be hard for you. Um, some people don't like to get the level of vulnerability because they've never really had a healthy, intimate relationship with uh, non-romantic or romantic. I, I get that. I understand that that might be a very real thing for some people. But my question is, is that if that's the, the case, then what are you actually missing? I think you're missing out on what it means to be human. If you're missing out just that little um, component Now, that doesn't mean that you obviously go too deep, too fast with everybody. People have to earn uh, the right for you to trust them. Uh, And I often talk about this idea of permission. There are some people that don't have any permission in my life. Most of the time, those are the people on Facebook. They don't have any any permission. Um, On the opposite end end of the spectrum, excuse me, opposite end of the spectrum, my wife has uh, complete permission to talk about anything she wants to. She wants to challenge something, she has the right to do that. She has earned that permission. 30 years, high level of intimacy because we have commitment over time. Does this make sense? You know, she will have permissions that no one else will have. 
uh, the board of directors of Thrive Church have a certain uh, amount of permission to speak to me about things in my life that not a whole lot of other people have, largely because of the type of relationships we have and the fact that um, uh, my position as, uh, as, a, as a, a leader in this, in this congregation. So understand that permission goes a long way, tracks very uh, steadily with this idea of intimacy and the idea of trust. So maybe if you're uncomfortable with the idea of intimacy, maybe what you should say is, is this idea of trust and who has permission to say what to me? Because not everybody deserves to have carte blanche permission in your life. They just don't. They've not earned it. And so, and that's a two-way street. Whose who's trust, whose permission are you earning? So when you think about relationships and you think about intimacy, these things are really important for us to consider. You know, reflecting on this, I was also reminded that, you know, you've got some friendship at these, these, these levels especially in the personal, intimate um, categories. That's, I guess, what I'm going to call it. And that those require a certain amount of time and attention. Because let me, let me explain something to you. You may be tight with someone, and then you can pick up right where you left off, even though um, it, it may have been a long period of time. And God bless you when you have those relationships. But that's not going to work with your spouse, you got to actually invest time and attention into those relationships, especially if they're earning uh, permission and you're earning permission. There's no substitute for time and attention in those. And the other thing that struck me as I was reflecting on this, I was trying to figure out kind of what this would mean for all of us, you know, today. And yeah, I want you to walk away with some skills just to understand what relationships are like and and give you a framework to think about it. But, but here's the other piece of the puzzle. There's this passage in John 15 that really kind of bubbled up to the surface. And here's, here's what Jesus said to, to his disciples before he was crucified. He says, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you time and attention. He's got three years in with these guys. He's spent every waking moment, most of the time, with these particular individuals. There's a higher level of intimacy, and he's able to say, you're no longer servants, now you're my friends. Do you see how that moves, moves along the scale there? That, you know, at least it's personal. May or may not be intimate, but it is definitely personal. It's no longer a public relationship. It's something else. And so the question that I have is if, if it's about time and attention and it's about vulnerability and, and we're, we're really trying to understand what friendship is like, using Jonathan and David as a jumping off point, then who are you hanging out with? Because let, let's be honest, in a, in a COVID environment, couldn't really hang out with a whole lot of people, right? So that your intimate relationships, presumably with your family, got a little more intimate. That's cool. But we also know that to be healthy, we have to have some of these other relationships. So who are you hanging out with? Who has permission to speak into your life and at what level of permission do they have? Those kinds of questions as well. 
I think those are, are things worth thinking about. Now, I can't force you to do that, but I would highly suggest that you start looking at the people that you, know, you call your friends and say, okay, where's my time and attention here? What does this, what does this look like? And, and more importantly, and oh man, I'm going to step in it right now. Is Jesus among them? Is Jesus among the people that you would call your friends that you're hanging out with? You know, maybe in your relationship with Jesus, it's, it's, it's a public relationship. You know, you identify as a Christian, and you may or may not attend a church. You might attend a church online, which is cool. I understand when that happens. But that seems to be a public relationship to me. Or maybe <clears throat> it's social. Maybe you attend a church, and you know a couple of people in the church, and you talk to them. You know, maybe there's a, um, you know, some folks that you chat with that are in the kids' ministry because you're dropping your kids off, or, or maybe, you know, who knows, whatever. You've just connected. And maybe there's um, a personal relationship that you have because you're in a small group and, and, and you, learn, um, you, know, you learn about the Bible and you maybe do some prayer and And maybe there's a part of you that's wondering if there might be something more. Because an intimate relationship with Jesus requires time and attention where you're actually listening and responding to the things that he's saying. You know, I, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of relationship that I want with him. You know, for years now I've, I've said, you know, there's two people that have that type of relationship, that intimate relationship with me. But you know what? That's not entirely true. There's a third one. And that's Jesus. He has that permission to speak that truth to my life. And for some reason, he knows the right truth all the time. And it's not always comfortable. But most of the time, the truth is not, David, you're doing something wrong. Most of the time is, hey, David, I've got something better for you. Hey, David, you know, you know I do love you, right? Yeah, Lord, I know you love me. No, no, I don't think you understand that. Let me show you. Okay. That's intimate too, right? We tend to think of a relationship with God as him always pointing out something that's wrong, but it's not. An intimate relationship very much <clears throat> moves us towards what is right and what is good, and what is true, and what is noble, and what is powerful, and what is beautiful, and that's intimate as well. So I just invite you today as we're singing this last song, just to kind of reflect on your relationships and then ultimately come to that point of, you know, is Jesus really my friend? What does that mean? Or what could that look like? I don't know what it is for you. I'm sorting it out what it means for me. But all I know is that I want a deeper level of relationship, a deeper level of intimacy there because I know he is good. And I need that. And if you're honest with yourself, so do you. The upshot is that he wants that relationship with you. And that sounds like good news to me. And I really want to be about good news. Let's pray. 
Jesus, you have called us your friends. And Lord, um, maybe we don't fully understand what that means. Lord, as we kind of sort through relationships and being personal or social or my prayer is Lord that you would begin to speak to each person in such a way that they would hear you in the confines of that relationship and that, that you would call them to, some, to something deeper each time each time and that we would learn how to listen and respond to you each step of the way. And God, I pray to you that as we become friendly with you and that we would become more vulnerable with you, that that wouldn't be a scary thing, that we'd learn that you're a safe place. And to recognize that even as, as I'm saying this, there are, there are people here going, man, I don't, I don't want that. There are things about me. I don't want anybody else to know. Yeah, God already knows. <laughs> he still loves you. I mean, I mean you, he like really loves you. Not just in the, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to love you, but, you know, not that part of you. No, 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 no. He just loves you. And all of that stuff, all that junk, all that mess, all of that shame, that stuff that you're hanging on to, he's asking you, aren't you tired of that? Maybe it's time to set that aside. Go deeper. Your intimacy is dependent upon your vulnerability. Sometimes we've got to get over that ourselves. So, Holy Spirit, you can do a work here. And I pray, first and foremost, the voice of shame would be silenced. In the name of Jesus, by the blood on the cross, it has no business here. I pray that people would only hear your voice. They would hear the voice of friendship, of love, of care, of support, of someone who is tight, who understands the heat of battle in ways that we can't even imagine. <laughs> Your battle took you to a cross, Lord. And you won. Help us to see you in that light. Not just as a, an intimate, tender type of friend, but also one of power, one of strength, one who cares one who is willing to jump in the foxhole with us. God, I'm, I'm glad that you're that type of father because I need that. So Holy Spirit, come do the work that only you can do. Help us to listen and hear what you have to say and have the courage to respond accordingly. And the church is always, if you want to pray about these things, I'm, I'm just going to be over in the corner, I guess over here, my right, your left. And we can pray if you want to.
but let's worship a God who loves us so much. In Jesus' name, amen.